we are in week two of the Advent season. And as you've heard, Advent, just this beautiful season full of just symbolism and, and, and all sorts of just meaningful elements. And one element of Advent is that there are four weekly themes. There's a theme of each week. And last week, Pastor Judah led us through the theme of hope. And this week, we're going to open God's word together and we're going to talk about peace. Now, Advent, historically, is a time of waiting and a time of anticipation. It's a time where we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ's birth, his first advent, his first arrival or coming at Christmas. And it's a time where we live with a heightened sense of anticipation for Christ's second advent, his second coming, when he will return and make all things new. And there's a lot that I love about the advent season, but one thing I love in particular is that advent is something that unites Christians from all different denominations and and unites Christians all over the world. It's funny, every year, and we've celebrated advent here as a church for the last several years, every year without fail, we get folks who will ask us, uh, they'll say, wait a second, isn't, isn't Advent just like a Catholic thing? And usually that's asked by people who, like me, were raised Catholic. There was a time in my life where I thought that Advent was just a Catholic thing. And the truth is, no, it's not. That there are churches of different denominations all over our community that are celebrating Advent, and certainly all over the world. So so I love that, that it's something that just all different types of Christians all over the world can join together in this season of waiting in anticipation. Another element of Advent that I love is that it connects us to our past. As the people of God, as as Christians, we are part of a great tradition that goes back thousands of years. And we have always been a waiting people. It can be hard to forget, if you're anything like me, I can get just so stuck in my own little life or stuck in just the moment that we're living in that I sort of forget that we're part of this big, grand tradition that goes back, like I said, thousands of years. And as we sit in the season of Advent, awaiting the coming of Christmas and the celebration of Christ's birth, and as we sit in in this posture of waiting and anticipating the second coming, it connects us back to Old Testament times when the people of God eagerly awaited a Savior. As we sit in the darkness of our world, we can reflect on passages like the one we looked at with Pastor Judah last week, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. My people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. In the Advent season, as we long for God to intervene in the challenges of our world, we can identify with our brothers and sisters from ages past who longed for God to fulfill his promise and send his Messiah. And I don't know about you, but for me, Advent feels especially poignant this year because on the one hand, if you just sort of look throughout our culture, we've done a pretty good job of eliminating a lot of waiting, haven't we? I mean, I'm old enough to remember a time where if you went to the DMV and there was a long line that you just stood there and did nothing the whole time until it was your turn, right? Or I'm old enough to remember a time where if there was a song that you liked, you turned on this thing called the radio and you waited for that song to play. And maybe if you're like me, you waited with a cassette tape in the tape player so that as soon as that song came on, bam, you're recording that sucker so you can listen to it later, right? Or, or I'm old enough to remember a truly dark time where if you wanted something from a place like Starbucks or Pete's, you drove to the establishment and then you waited in line and then got up to the register and you ordered what you wanted and then you waited more while they made your drink. 
And then God's light shone upon us and he made this thing called the app where you can order your drink before you leave your house and it's magically ready for you when you get there, glory to God. And I gotta say, I know some of y'all are still living in the darkness of line waiting. I don't go to coffee shops all that often, but every time I walk in, I walk past a line of people and I'm like, you people are dwelling in darkness. You need to see the light as I grab my drink and leave, right? We've eliminated a lot of waiting from our society. And if we do have to wait at the DMB or the doctor's office or the coffee shop, we have endless information and entertainment just right in our pockets, don't we? We've eliminated a lot of our need to wait. And don't get me wrong, I don't like waiting. I think that's a good thing, right? And yet, the pandemic has forced us into a different kind of waiting, hasn't it? As this thing is dragged on, I've talked to lots of different people, including some of you, and a common sentiment that I hear is, especially from those of us who maybe you, you're just your personality is you're more of a fixer, right? Like you see a problem, you want to fix it. Like, okay, what do I do? And, and so many of us have, so many have expressed to me this feeling of sort of helplessness, right? Where we just say, I mean, I just want to fix it and there's nothing I can do. And, and like on some level, we can all sort of do our part. We can, you know, wear, wear our masks and social distance and, and do all that stuff. But there's nothing, there's not an app that will deliver an end to a pandemic in 30 minutes or less, right? We're forced into this time of waiting. And this deep, visceral longing for a brighter future that our ancestors felt. It's not just something we think about in theory. It's part of our lived experience in this moment, isn't it? The waiting that we're experiencing across the globe, waiting for COVID to relent and some sense of normalcy to return, it can be a visceral reminder to us that we as followers of Jesus are awaiting people. We're waiting. Now, not passively. There are things for us to do in the waiting. It's not as though we're just waiting in line. But we're waiting to celebrate the hope of Christmas. We're waiting for Christ's return. And so in this season of Advent, we join with our brothers and sisters in Christ across our community and around the world in entering into an Advent season. And I want to tell you this right now. There's an opportunity for us to discover in this season something that our ancestors in the faith know, and that's this, that God meets us in the waiting. That God meets us in profound ways in our waiting. There is, I believe, a sense of vulnerability in waiting, isn't there? Like when we have to wait, we're waiting because we have to. We can't control the situation in most cases. And what can happen is that vulnerability, if we let it, it can make us bitter and angry, can't it? Like let's just be honest, vulnerability is scary. I don't like to be in a vulnerable situation, and vulnerability is scary, and we don't do well with scary as, 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 as a species, do we, right? I mean, look out into our world. There's so much anger. What's everybody angry about? I don't think we're really angry about the stuff we say we're angry about. I suspect most of us, we're saying we're angry about this, we're saying we're angry about that, but really, we're most angry about the uncertainty, we're angry about uncertainty. We're angry that we're vulnerable. We're angry because we're confused and there's so much going on that we don't understand and we wanna take that anger out on somebody so we villainize certain people or get mad about certain things or rage against certain policies and things like that when really, come on, come on, come on. What's underneath all of that? We're angry at the uncertainty. So vulnerability can make us bitter and angry if we let it. 
But vulnerability can also create in our hearts a greater openness to God's presence, and that's my hope and my prayer for me and for our faith family. It can help us identify, as Pastor Judah spoke about last week, evidence of misplaced hope in our hearts. It can help us redirect our love and our attention and our hope to our Savior. So my hope and my prayer is that in this vulnerable Advent season, we would not allow the vulnerability that we're facing to make us bitter and angry, but rather, in our vulnerability, we would turn towards God, not away from him, and that we might experience him anew fresh and transformative ways. I believe God meets us in the waiting in profound ways. Now, if you're following along on the Bridgeway app or you're taking notes, I wanna, I wanna give you the fill in the blank. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build to it here and then I'll, I'll give it to you. As we turn our attention to the subject of peace, we're gonna explore what does the Bible mean when it talks about peace and we're gonna look, about, look at a very familiar passage that talks about peace and we're gonna connect peace to the birth of Christ but as I get rolling into this, one thing I want to repeat, I want to repeat something uh, that I said in a, in a devotional that I recorded that's getting released this weekend, which by the way, we during this whole Advent season, we're releasing daily audio devotionals every single morning. Subscribe to the Bridgeway Christian Church Sermon Podcast if you haven't already. It's a great way to start your day. But I got to record one of the devotionals we're releasing this weekend, and in that devotional, I talked about peace, and what I said is I said that many of us, we think of peace as some sort of destination. We think of peace as something that we'll experience once we've done enough or accomplished enough or made enough money or, or, or graduated from this or gotten this job or had kids or raised the kids or retired or, or accomplished X, Y, and Z, right? We think of peace as a destination, but I actually don't think that's how peace works. I don't think that's how peace works. Peace is not a destination as much as it is a companion for our journey, Peace is not so, as much a destination as it is a companion for our journey. Sure, our circumstances can influence how peaceful we're feeling. I feel considerably more peaceful when I'm sitting in my office, drinking coffee, reading scripture, looking out the window, than I do when I'm managing a meltdown with one of my children, right? But come on, I can be peaceful in both of those situations, can't I? And I can be full of anxiety and stress in both of those situations, can't I? See, peace is not a destination. It's a companion for our journey. It's something that God gives us for our journey. And I actually think we can miss God's offer of peace if we think of it as, as something that's just right around the corner. Like, okay, once I, once I get through these things, then, then I can be peaceful. Once I've accomplished this, then I can be peaceful. Once this season of my life clears, then I can be peaceful. I, I think we miss it. See, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 Paul writes this, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He does not say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts tomorrow. He does not say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts once you've made it through the week and gotten to the weekend. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We're gonna come back to that, but I think it's a beautiful picture of how peace is meant to work. It's meant to fill our hearts. It's meant to be our companion for the journey so that it influences our mindset and our actions in every situation we find ourselves in. So here's the fill in the blank. We can have peace while we're in process. We can have peace while we're in process. If your life isn't perfect, good news. That means you're a human being. If you've got something that's stressing you out, good news, that means you're a human being. If you feel the weight of your own brokenness, good news, that means you're a human, me human being. 
But the really good news is that the peace of God isn't some special prize given only to spiritual elites. The peace of God is not something only given to those who have accomplished certain things. The peace of God is a gift and it's available to you, it's available to me, it's available to us ordinary people. And I don't think I'm the only one. Come on, I, I got my own stuff I'm stressed out about, nervous about, and anxious about. I don't think I'm the only one who would say, man, I, I need more of God's peace in my heart. I, I need God's peace to rule my heart more. And I, and I certainly know, come on, I mean, come on, we know, know this is true. Doesn't our world need people that are full of the peace of God? Doesn't the world need people that, that can exude and demonstrate and, and, and show God's peace to the world, right? That's what we need. I love the Hebrew word that's translated peace in the Old Testament, it's the word shalom. You maybe have heard it before. It's a, it's a beautiful word, and it doesn't refer only to the absence of conflict. Peace, in the, in the biblical sense, is not simply the absence of conflict, but rather it is the presence of wholeness or completeness. It is the presence of something beautiful and good in the place of conflict. It's used in the Old Testament, by the way, in all sorts of different contexts. In fact, in Joshua chapter 8, Joshua is building an altar to the Lord, and the text says that the stones were uncut, like they were unblemished. They were exactly as they should be. And the word used there is shalom, indicating that the stones were complete. Right? Shalom can refer to something that is complex and has a lot of pieces and yet is together and complete. This can be used to describe something like a wall or a building. And it can even be used to describe a person's state of being. How is your shalom, your sense of peace or completeness? When the word shalom is used as a verb, it means literally to make something complete. Solomon shaloms the temple in 1 Kings chapter 9 when he finishes building it. And this language applies to broken relationships as well. Proverbs chapter 16 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at shalom with him. When we're walking in step with the Lord, we bring this sense of shalom even to our enemies. That's shalom. That's the restoring of human relationships. And what's really cool to me about the way this word works is what it, what it means on a societal level is that when shalom exists between two groups of people, it doesn't simply mean they've stopped fighting. It means they are actively working together for one another's good. That is the sense of shalom. It is wholeness. It is completeness. It is things being right. When shalom is present, things are as God intended them to be. Last week, Pastor Judah drew our attention to a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah looked forward to Christ's coming and listened to the language again in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Shalom, peace of the increase of his government and his shalom, there will be no end. See, the coming of Jesus is intimately connected to this idea of peace, of wholeness, of completeness. Then in the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is arene, and it carries with it a similar idea of wholeness or completeness. Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse one, since then we have been justified by faith. We have Irene, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the New Testament teaches this all over the place, and I hope that you know this to be true, that what sin has broken, what has been broken by our sinfulness, has been put back together by Christ, that the foundation of peace in our lives is that peace is possible with God because of the work of Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, same one who wrote Romans, says that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace 
peace. He is the one who makes us complete. He is the one who, who allows for wholeness. He is the one who sets everything right. Now, with all of that as background, I want to take you to a very familiar passage of Scripture. Perhaps you've heard it recently read by Linus if you've already watched a Charlie Brown Christmas this year. There's a decent chance it's familiar to you if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time. And if, if that's the case, I just want to encourage you as we read these words tonight, try to, try to listen and, and hear them as, as fresh words to you and, 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 and not, not, not as overly familiar as they often are. And as we read these words, I want to stop and I want to talk about fear and I want to talk about other emotions that hijack our peace. And then we're going to wrap up with cultivating peace and what does it look like to follow Jesus in the way of peace. So if you have a Bible or a Bible-equipped mobile device, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be for the remainder of our time. Luke chapter 2. In the first seven verses of Luke 2, we're told that Joseph and Mary have traveled from Galilee to the little town of Bethlehem to register for the census. And it's while they're there that it comes time for Mary to give birth and Jesus is born. And we pick up the story now in Luke chapter two, verse eight. And in the same region, it says, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Pause. Last week, Pastor Judah told us something about the history of the region of Galilee. And in case you missed it, Galilee, he told us, was not exactly a happening place in the centuries leading up to Jesus, Jesus' birth. It was the first stop that invading armies would pass through on their way to Jerusalem, and it was the last place they would see as they were retreating and leaving, which meant they got pillaged and destroyed and hammered by violence on the way in, and then it happened again on the way out. Galilee was a place with a, with a history of death and destruction and chaos. And yet, God chose Galilee, where Jesus did all of his ministry, so much of his ministry, right? God chose Galilee to be ground zero for a move of God that was unlike anything the world had ever seen. God moves in unexpected places. God's ways are not our ways. What the world rejects and casts out, God says, yeah, no, I can use that. Yeah, I can, yeah, no, that'll be perfect. I, I, yeah, Galilee, let's do it, let's go. And now, who does God choose to make the first announcement to when his son is born? It's not the high rollers in Jerusalem. It's not the heavy hitters in Rome. It's not the Instagram influencers or the people with the popular YouTube channels. It's not the politicians. The announcement comes to shepherds, <laughs> night shift shepherds at that. I don't know of any civilization in human history where shepherds were highly esteemed. <laughs> highly necessary, yes, but highly esteemed, no. And yet, on just another night, in the fields outside of Bethlehem, they are witnesses to a sight so awesome it's difficult for us to comprehend. Which, side note, just humor me on this for a second. I've read this story a million times. I've heard it taught a million times. I've thought about it, I've thought about it from every different angle. But I was thinking about it this week, and just something crossed my mind that I'd never really thought about before regarding our, our friends, the night shift shepherds here. What do you think their next night shift was like after this? Because like once an angelic visitation is on the table as a possibility, like that's got to mess with your head a little bit, right? 
Like they hear like this little like rustling in the grass or like, what is it, you know? Oh, it's a sheep. Same thing, it's been every other time except for that one time, right? It has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was funny. But here's the deal. I love that this announcement came to shepherds, to outcasts, to ordinary folks. I love that he came to ordinary people. What a beautiful reminder that God is for us. God is for you. God is for me. God sees you and he cares about you. See, one thing I suspect that keeps a lot of us from experiencing the peace of God and and God's wholeness is that we struggle to believe that God is really for us. God is for people who have their act together. Newsflash, none of us have our act together. Some of us are just better at faking it than others. God is for us. What the story of Christmas teaches is that Jesus was willing to come into weakness and fragility. It was, excuse me, was willing to come in weakness and fragility to save us, a weak and fragile people. He wrote himself into the story in the most humble of ways so that we could know he's a hero for us. I, I mentioned this earlier, the power and the presence of God is not reserved for some spiritual elite group of people. It's for you. It's for me. We can know that we're all people in process and God's peace is for us. We can have God's peace in the process. Why? How do we know that? We know that because we serve a God who launches his kingdom in a broken place called Galilee. We serve serve a God who announced his coming at Christmas to shepherds. God meets us in the broken places. God meets us when we're in process. I want to ask you, what brokenness is there in your life that you're letting keep you from God? Because the truth is, God sees your brokenness and he says to you, listen, invite me in. You need not be ashamed of your brokenness. It is in the middle of your brokenness that my redemption begins. I want to meet you in your brokenness. We need not be afraid. We need not have fear. We serve a God who meets us in our brokenness. Let's go back to the text. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You think? And the angel said to them, fear not. Pause again. Now, we need to understand these words were spoken obviously in a very specific context to address a very specific type of fear. And I don't know that any of us would read this story and be like, man, come on, what were they afraid of? Like, they had very good reason to be afraid. So I'm not gonna dog the shepherds for being afraid right here. But I do wanna talk, we're gonna talk about peace. I wanna talk about fear a little bit more generally because I believe there are few emotions that can more effectively hijack our peace our shalom than fear. And we live in a culture that is absolutely addicted to fear. Fear is the fuel that keeps the engine roaring of so much that is unhealthy in our world. In fact, I was joking with some friends before the service today. As I said, I, said, I think if God like cured us all of all of our fears, I'm afraid our economy might collapse. Right? So much is built around fear. See, there's a reason why do not fear is one of the most common, if not the most common command in all of scripture. We're fearful people, aren't we? And come on, none of us are at our best when we're fearful, right? None of us make our best, most Christ-honoring decisions when we're afraid. None of us think most rationally and clearly when we're being driven by fear. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. When you and I, when we're afraid, we are very easy to control. Isn't that true? 
If I can make you afraid and I can give you a sense of what the solution to your fear is, I pretty much own you at that point. Isn't that true? So there are voices all over our culture that have a vested interest in keeping us afraid. I'll give you some examples. I'm, I'm not against advertising. Do not hear me saying I'm against advertising. In fact, I teach at William Jessup, and in my class, we analyze different advertisements and talk about what makes for effective advertising. And so if you're in advertising, do it and do it well for the glory of God. <laughs> but come on. A lot of advertising preys on our fears, doesn't it? You've got to be like this. You've got to have this thing. The thing you have is inadequate. You need a new thing. You need to dress like him. You need to look like her. You need to use this brand. You need to have 47 different safety features on your car, on your bike, on your house. And if you don't do these things, you're a lousy parent. Also, every other kid is going to have the thing. So if your kid doesn't have the thing, then they're going to be mad. So you better buy the thing. On and on we go to keep us afraid. Why? Why do ads try to make us afraid and insecure? If we're not afraid and insecure, we're not going to spend as much money, are we? <laughs> so much of our economy runs on fear. And for what? For, for what? Come on, for, for, for you and for me, what, what is all that fear getting us? <laughs> what, what is all that fear getting us? Now listen, I'm, I'm all for wisdom. I'm all for safety. I'm all for thinking through what's best for you and, and for your family. I'm all for taking threats and safety concerns seriously. There's always a place for, for wisdom in those things. But, but listen, you cannot purchase your way to peace. The wholeness and completeness that God wants to give you that will give you true rest for your soul, it is not available through Amazon Prime, nor is it available for four-hour pickup from Target. I'm sorry to tell you. Wholeness and completeness come from God, not our purchasing decisions. So advertising will keep us fearful, but we just have to beware. Like, it, 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 we can buy what they're selling, but it's not going to give it what, what it promises, right? I was reading a book recently, and the author was talking about how he's trained his kids to do what he calls spot the lie <laughs> when it comes to advertisements. Like, he'll show them an advertisement, and he'll say, okay, spot the lie. What unrealistic promise are they making? What fear are they playing into. And he's training his kids on how to do this. I'm not doing this with my kids yet, but I think I might start, right? We have fear advertised to us constantly. Another way fear is finding its way into our hearts is through the media, primarily through pundits and commentators. The, the most popular commentators and media voices in the world today, do you know why they're popular? It's not because they're offering a nuanced and sophisticated and helpful analysis of the world. They are popular because they are selling fear and they are selling anger. The most popular commentators and media personalities in our culture, many of whom have gained quite a following amongst Christians, Make no mistake about it, their goal is to make you afraid and to make you angry. And if you and I give, us, give them our attention, they will form us into angry, anxious, fearful people. And why do they do that? Why do they train us in these things? Because we'll keep watching. Because like I said, once we're afraid, we can be easily controlled. Fear hooks us and we keep coming back. And let's just be honest, peace and calm and kindness, those don't make for interesting television or interesting radio, do they? So I don't care how good things ever get in the world. There will never be a time when the most popular media personalities and commentators stare into the camera and say, I just want you to know everything is fine. So tonight my monologue is about thankfulness. Let's cultivate a heart of thankfulness and, and then consider how we might serve one another. Doesn't get ratings, doesn't get clicks, doesn't get shares, right? It's not gonna happen. 
And when we put ourselves under the influence of these voices who are selling fear and anger, come on, it's no wonder we become fearful and angry people. I mean, come on, you can see it coming a mile away. And now listen, you might be saying, Brian, wait a second, are you fear-mongering the fear-mongers right now? Are you trying to make us afraid of the people that are trying to make us afraid? No, I am not, but I'm saying if you want peace in your heart and your mind, you need to ignore them. I'm saying if you want peace in your heart and your mind, you need to ignore them. Romans 14, 19, Paul writes, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. See, peace is a gift, but peace is also something we pursue. Fear and anger, what do they do? They get us to a place where we wanna lash out, where we wanna tear down, where we demonize. And there's certainly been no shortage of that in our world this year. But God says again and again, in our, again, and again in his word, do not fear, do not fear. You know, it's interesting, almost exactly one year ago, I was standing on this stage and I preached a message out of Philippians chapter four. And at that time is obviously the end of 2019. And the Bible app version, which is the most popular Bible app in the world, had just released their statistics for the year 2019. And I shared with you from this stage, I said, you wanna know what the most popular, most looked up, most highlighted, most shared Bible verse of 2019 was? And I told you, it was Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I talked about how, man, we're, <laughs> we're anxious, right? And that wasn't even an election year. There wasn't even a pandemic going on. Talked about how we're anxious, right? Well, this week, Version came out with their most popular bookmark, searched, read book of 2020, uh, verse of 2020. And it was Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's Isaiah 41.10. I don't know if there's a better verse for us to lock into our hearts for a time like this, right? And listen, come on, when the Bible says do not fear, it is not encouraging recklessness. Faith over fear does not mean that we're reckless. I would not look at somebody who says, you know, out of, I have so much faith, I am not gonna wear my seatbelt anymore. Say, wow, what a tremendous example of faith. <laughs> faith is not anti-wisdom. There will always be a place for calm wisdom in our lives. But I just wanna ask you, when you look at the influences in your life, when you look at where you give your attention, the people that you talk to, the voices you listen to, the media you consume, what's getting you riled up and angry? What's making you fearful? Maybe it's time to step away from those voices so that the peace of Christ can rule in your heart. Because come on, the Bible, we read this verse a minute ago, the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. And listen, if you and I, if we're gonna say, okay, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, that means that Jesus is my king and he is the prince of peace, we sort of have to check that and say, okay, is my mindset reflective of that reality? Are the voices or the influences I'm allowing into my head, are they reflective of that reality? Am I truly being influenced by the prince of peace or am I being influenced by something else? It, makes, it reminds me of a time about 10 years ago, I was up in Oregon and I was competing in a, in a running event called the Hood to Coast Relay, where the gist of it is you have a team of 12 people, and each one of you takes turns running about five-mile segments until you get to the end. And when you're not running, you're in a van being thankful that you're not running. And we were driving through this part of the course, 
And it was a really difficult stretch, of course, and we're all talking about, yeah, you know, whoever's running for our team now, you know, sucker, this and that, whatever. We're driving up this hill, and I remember, clear as if it was yesterday, I remember looking at this guy. He was dressed in a running tank top. He was dressed in running shorts. He looked thin and fit and everything. Like everything about this guy's countenance said, I'll bet you that guy's a runner. And he is running uphill. And I kid you not, he is smoking a cigarette while he is running up the hill. I'm not here to judge anybody. But it seems like that's not exactly supporting the goals of the moment, now is it? I suspect a lot of us are running and smoking cigarettes. We're saying, I wanna follow the Prince of Peace. But we're letting in voices that are making us angry, that are making us afraid, that are causing us to demonize, right? Get sucked into these rabbit holes of fear and anger. Your king is the Prince of Peace. He wants something better for you and for me than that. The text continues. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now real quick, I'm not gonna say much about joy because that's Pastor Lance's job next week and it's gonna be great. I hope we come back. But man, I love this verse and may we, gosh, as we're in this Advent season, may we never lose the wonder of what a miracle Christmas is, that it is, it is good news of great joy for all people, whether this is your first Christmas as a Christ follower or your 50th, may we never just become used to this, like, oh yeah, yeah, God came as a baby at Christmas, wow, it's good news of great joy for all people, may we never lose the wonder of that. For unto you, the angel says, is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The announcement of the birth of Jesus came with a promise of peace, a promise of irene, a promise of wholeness and completeness. See, that's a promise for shepherds 2,000 years ago, half a world away. It's a promise for you and for me today. Jesus was born with an announcement of peace. He lived his life saying things like, blessed are the peacemakers. Make no mistake about it, peace is not passive. It is something we work for. He said things like, love your enemies. Towards the end of his life, he said in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Jesus says, there is a peace that the world offers and then there is my peace and my peace. <laughs> That's the one you want. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus was born into an anxious and angry world, and he came and he proclaimed a better way. We live in an anxious and angry world today, don't we? We don't know what to do. We don't know what the future holds. So, so much of what is normal has been taken away. We're stressed out, aren't we? <laughs> but Jesus' offer of peace still stands. But, but, but come on, there are, there are too many voices, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna preface this with, I don't, I don't like to be 
critical about negativity. I mostly want to just focus on, on what's positive and, and moving forward, but I just want to talk about this. There are too many voices in our culture that are capitalizing on the uncertainty around us to make us angry and afraid and capitalizing on the uncertainty to divide us. There are too many, cult- too many voices in our culture that are saying we need to stand up and fight. Too many voices that are encouraging division and fanning the flames of unrest. The problem, of course, is that those ways do not, need, do not lead to peace. The idea of peace through violence is a myth. Those, all those voices do is they inflict a sort of violence on our souls that perpetuates our anger, our fear, and our anxiety. Everything about the life of Jesus shows us that he offers us a better way. The way of Jesus doesn't teach us to buy in to the anger and divisiveness of our culture, nor does it teach us to withdraw and be passive. The way of Jesus teaches us to seek the transformation of the world through suffering, sacrificial love. That is the way of peace. So I wanna ask you, this Advent season, what if we just said no? What if we just said, we're, we're turning down the voices that say, Stand up and fight. Those are the ways of the world. That is not the way of Jesus. Messages like that are great if you want to rile up a crowd, but they don't produce peace in our hearts. What if, what if, what if we turn our attention away from that which would make us anxious and afraid? And what if we instead, we recognize, come on, hear me on this, the crises of our world are no match for the power of God. It's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on Inflammatory news channels. You keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Instead of giving our attention to anger and division, maybe we can carve out time to be quiet before God. Maybe we can invest more time in conversation and relationships. Maybe we can remember that peace is not some mythical destination that we'll get to eventually, but rather peace is a gift that God gives and it can be a companion for our journey. What if we said in this Advent season, come on, we're not gonna pretend that the darkness isn't there. I don't believe hope and peace and joy and love are just pie in the sky, forget about anything that's bad. We said we're not gonna forget about the, we're not gonna pretend that the darkness isn't there, but we're gonna fix our eyes on the light of the world who shines into the darkness? What if we said, instead of joining in the shouting and demanding of our rights that is just all over the place in our culture, we said, we're gonna follow the Prince of Peace and we're gonna be first in line to sacrifice our preferences for the good of others. What if the world saw us doing that? What if we said, come on, we're all so anxious and I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I'm not. I've got, again, my own anxiety that I'm wrestling with. What if we said that instead of letting our anxiety lead us to lash out in anger, we're gonna remember, what does the Bible say? Cast all of your anxiety on your social media feed. No, cast all of your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. God can take your anxiety. Or what if we remembered the verse I mentioned earlier? Be anxious in nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What if we, we saw our anxiety as not license to lash out, but an invitation to deeper connection with our God? What if we remembered, last, last one and then I'm done. 
What if we remembered that the whole point of Christmas is to show us what God was willing to do to restore our relationship with him? Christmas reminds us that peace with God is possible and it comes through Jesus, through putting our faith in him, through placing our trust in him, through giving our attention to him, through following him. Peace is possible even when we are in process. Peace is possible for you even as you are in process. So, so that's, that's the invitation God places before us. We can be a people of peace. In the midst of the brokenness that you are facing personally, and I don't, I don't know your whole story, in the midst of the very real brokenness that you are facing personally, God can meet you in that brokenness. In the midst of the brokenness we are facing in our world, the, the, the peace of Christ, and, and I, just, I even want to say this almost as a prayer over you, that may, may the peace of Christ rule in your heart. May, may you see and experience the glory of God this Christmas and Advent season. And may you receive his peace and then pass it on. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that because of who you are and because of what you've done, we truly can be a people of peace. God, we confess to you that we are an anxious and fearful and even angry people. I, I will be the first to confess that I had more than my share of anxiety and fear in my heart this week. God, we're anxious and we're fearful and we need your peace. So, so Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your peace? Would you remind us that there is peace for us even as we are in process? May we be people who give our attention to you, Jesus, the one who gives us peace, and give less of our attention to that which would inflame us and turn us into to angry people. May we instead be people who are full of your peace. May we use our voices and our influence and our actions to create peace around us. May this community be different because there are followers of Jesus at Bridgeway and at so many other great churches in our region who are choosing the path of peace in an anxious and angry time. And God, may you be glorified through all of that. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your strength to empower us to live in that way. We can't do it on our own. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.